So I'm so excited. In just a few hours, we're going to get on buses. We're going to head to youth camp. Six years ago, our church went to youth camp for the very first time. We took seven teenagers on a 15-passenger van. Today, we'll take four motor coaches with more than 200 people. And the reason I love camp so much is because people's lives change at camp. Like I have just seen year after year, people had their lives changed at a camp, at a youth camp. Maybe you have had your life changed at a youth camp. Last year, as the school year winded down, a captain in the Birmingham Police Department went to one of their public schools, and he said, who are the three worst kids in the school? Who are the three kids in the school that are absolutely struggling the most? He asked the resource officers, and they said, these three kids we struggle with, like they are on our daily radar. We struggle with them every day. One of them was named Andre Todd. And he said, I want the name of those three kids because I have three scholarships available to a youth camp in Branson, Missouri. It's called Kids Across America. Joe White started it in 1978 to bring kids from urban centers all over America to basically Table Rock Lake to have a, a week of fun, a week learning leadership, and a week to hear about Jesus. And after talking to Andre's grandma, who he lived with, she said, yeah, Andre can go with you. But this was a deeply, deeply troubled kid. Um, he had no hope of graduating at the time. He was going into his senior year, but he was 13 credits behind, which means he basically hadn't even finished his sophomore year, even though he was entering his senior year. Uh, He had stopped living life at the age of 13 when he was inside his house, and he heard three gunshots ring out, and he went and he saw his great-grandfather who'd been mowing the yard, who'd been robbed and shot. His grandfather, great-grandfather handed him the phone, said, call 911, but he was so freaked out by what he saw that he froze and wasn't able to, and he blamed himself forever for his grandfather's death. And they said in town, he became a troubled kid who became a troubled maker. But his grandma said, yeah, you can take him to camp. At their first stop on the way to camp at McDonald's, he tried to fight two kids who were sitting in the bus seat in front of him because their music was too loud. And they stopped him and said, you can't do that here. On the second stop on the way to camp, he tried to shoplift at Walmart some things he wanted to take to camp with him. And they said, you can't do that here. But the third day of camp, he opened up his heart to decide to follow Jesus. And he told Captain Jackson, I want your help to get my life back on track. When they got back to Birmingham, Captain Jackson did something that had never been done as far as he knew in the history of the department. He set up every day for school, one of the resource officers or one of the on-duty police officers to pick him up and take him to school in a marked police car every day of school. And they enrolled and figured out how to put him in online school. They figured out how to pay for tutors after school. um, And they figured out how he could do a few night classes. And basically this troubled kid who was a troublemaker did more than two years of school in one. And last week, he walked across the stage to receive his diploma with Captain Jackson by his side. I think we've got a picture of him if they want to throw him up. There's Andre and Captain Jackson. A year after a troubled kid who was a troublemaker met Jesus, his life would change forever. You say, what happened? What happened to Andre? God sent him a hero named Captain Jackson who said, I'm going to step into your life and I'm going to help you. That storyline is the storyline that we, we find played out 3,200 years ago in the book of Judges throughout the entire book, and it's where we'll be all summer long. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Judges chapter 2, pull your notes out of your bulletin so you can follow along or uh, pull open your Journey Church International app so you can follow, because we're going to be all summer long in Judges chapter 2. Why? Because we are looking for, like Andre, we are looking 
for a rescuer. In Judges chapter 2, we're looking for a rescuer for the nation of Israel. But maybe today you're looking for a rescuer for your life. Maybe today you're looking for a rescuer for your grandson. Maybe today you're looking for a rescuer for your kids or for your spouse or for your boss or for an employee or for a neighbor. If you're in the habit of knowing someone who needs to be rescued, then Judges is for you. And maybe it's not someone in your life who needs to be rescued. Maybe it's the person in the mirror. Maybe it's you. Maybe you're at church today thinking, I need someone to rescue me. You'll be able to find that in Judges. Because what we find in Judges and what we find in Scripture is that learning from our past teaches us how we should live in the present. That's what the Apostle Paul taught the church at Corinth. Paul told the church in Corinth, a New Testament church, make sure you study the Hebrew Bible or what we would call the Old Testament. Make sure you study the old stuff because he said the old stuff teaches us what we need today to live in the new stuff. He said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 11 and 12. These things, the Old Testament, happened to them, Israel, as examples. And they were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful so that you don't fall. Paul says learning about our past spiritually from the Old Testament will help us stay strong spiritually today in our presence. So we're going to study all summer long the book of Judges. Now, a little bit of quick background on the Judges. The period of Judges occurs approximately 500 years after the life of Joseph. We spent five weeks studying the life of Joseph in a series called My Dysfunctional Family. If you weren't here, I want to challenge you to go back and listen to it on your app or on the internet. Um, just, Just... Cast those sermons as you can and listen for the sake of your family and friends that may need some help. Remember Joseph. Joseph became second in command in Egypt. Then Joseph died. The people of Israel were in slavery for 430 years. After 430 years of slavery, they were in the desert for 40 years in the wilderness with Moses. So now we're at 470. Then Joshua led the nation for 25 or 30 years. So we're about 500 years after all of that has happened. The book of Judges is what I call the bad news sequel to the good news book of Joshua. Joshua is a good book. The people of Israel go take the land. Judges is a bad book. The people of Israel lose the land. It's known as both a book of the Bible that we're going to study, but it's also a period of time, approximately 1200 to 1020 BC in Israel. It is between the conquest and the kings of Israel when Saul will become king. And what the book of Judges does as we start in Judges 1 and we end our summer in Judges 21 is this. It highlights the need for a righteous ruler in Israel who can save and lead the people. We're going to see in every page of Judges the need for a deliverer who can rescue and save people. And we, as we look at our life, are going to see every day in our life a need for a savior and a rescuer to deliver us. So we enter Judges chapter 2 today as we kick off this series. And here's what it says. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim, and he said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land I swore to give to your ancestors. I said, I'll never break my covenant with you, and you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down their altars, yet you've disobeyed me. Why have you done this? And I also said, I'll not drive them out before you. They'll become traps for you, and their gods will become snares to you. When the angel of the Lord has spoken these things to all the Israelites, the people wept aloud, and they called that place Bochim. There they offered sacrifices to the Lord. Now, we've got to stop right there, and I need, to, I need you to circle two important locations so we can learn one really important spiritual lesson. Two locations that teach us one spiritual lesson. In verse 1, I want you to circle the word Gilgal, and I want you to circle the word Bochim. 
Because these two locations teach us one very important spiritual lesson. You say, what is Gilgal? Gilgal is the place where the angel of the Lord visited Joshua and said, you're going to be the commander of the people of Israel. Israel had just crossed over the Jordan River. Joshua was afraid they were getting ready to go attack Jericho, a walled city, but they had no weapons, they had no fighting men. None of these men had really ever been to war. Gilgal is a place where the angel of the Lord appeared to Joshua. And remember, Joshua said, are you for us or for them? And the angel of the Lord said, neither. I'm for God. But you can be with us, but you're going to have to take off your sandals because the place where you're standing is holy ground. And there's a thin layer that is removing you right now from being connected to the presence of God. So take off your shoes and walk in the holiness, walk in the goodness, walk in the direction that God wants you to walk in. And I will lead you and these people to take this land. That was Gilgal. You say, what's Bokim? Well, it's translated in verse 5 as the place of weeping. It's the place where Israel was rebuked because they turned their back on God. But we also find out it was the place where sacrifices were offered. We don't find it anywhere else in scripture. It's not a place, it's a name. Bokim is really Bethel. Bochum is Bethel. It's where the tabernacle was. It's where the people were offering sacrifice. You say, what's Bethel? It's two words. Beit El. Beit, the house of in Israel. El is the name of God in Israel. Bethel is the house of God. Bethel is the place that Jacob, when he was running from his brother Esau, the grandson of Abraham, fell asleep one night and he had a dream of heaven opening and angels coming down to heaven and angels going up to heaven. And God spoke to him there and said, Jacob, if you'll just trust me and follow me, If you'll just walk in my ways, you're going to be okay. And Jacob woke up and he set the pillar up and he said, this is the house of God. God appeared to me here. This was Bethel, but Bethel became Bochum. You say, how does that happen? How does a house of God become a place of weeping? How does a place of direction become a place of rejection? Here's what happened. When the Israelites quit resting their head in the promises of their God like Jacob, When the Israelites quit walking in the ways of God like Joshua, their house of worship became a house of weeping and they found themselves separated from God and God had to say, you've got to get it back together. And folks, I want to tell you, when you quit resting your head in the promises of God and you try to do life yourself, you're going to find yourself needing a rescuer. And when you try to walk in your own path instead of the path that God has said, walk this way, you're going to find yourself needing a rescuer. And maybe you're here today. I don't know what your past Bethel is. Maybe you have a time where God has appeared to you, but it was a really long time ago. And you say, I don't really feel like God's speaking to me anymore. Maybe you had a time where you set your feet where God told you to set your feet and you walked in the ways of God like Joshua. Maybe you found yourself at one point in time in your life on holy ground and you said, I want to do things God's way and follows God. But that was a long time ago. I don't know where your past is. Maybe today your present is the place of weeping. You say, spiritually for me, I'm broken. Spiritually today, I need to be rescued. Spiritually today, I'm not doing real good. All my spiritual power is in my past. That was Israel. I can't speak to your past. I can't speak to your present, but I can speak to your future. If you will hang on to Jesus as your rescuer, like we're going to find in the book of Judges, you can find yourself on solid footing again. You can pillow your head on the promises of God again, but you have to choose to let Jesus rescue you. That is the message of this book this summer. Let's continue in verse 6. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went up to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him and who had seen the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Harris in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. 
After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he'd done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who'd brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors, who'd been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge. He saved them out of the hands of their enemies. As long as the judge lived, for the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors. Following other gods and serving and worshiping him, worshiping them, they refused to give up their evil practices and their stubborn ways. The author of Judges says, this is what you're going to see in this whole book. You're going to see this spin cycle. I think we could probably better call it a sin cycle. You're going to see this cycle play out over and over again, that the people get close to God, the people drift from God, the people find themselves in trouble, the people cry to God for help. He helps them, and then they repeat over and over and over. We're going to see see three major themes in Judges as we set the table this summer to study this book. I want to kind of help you understand the direction we're going to lean this summer as we learn Judges by teaching you these three things today. Number one, we're going to see this, that God raised up Judges because Israel was caught in the spin cycle of sin. God raised up judges because Israel was caught in the spin cycle of sin. I don't like things that spin. I don't like amusement rides that spin. I don't really like roller coasters. I actually don't even like like amusement parks, really. But in sixth grade, on the last day of the school year, our sixth grade class in southern Ohio would take a trip to Kings Island Amusement Park, and we would ride roller coasters and hang out all day. And on that day, A sixth grade girl in my class named Mandy had told me that if I would ride the King Cobra roller coaster with her, which I had never ridden because I was afraid because it went upside down and I thought it would make me sick, she promised me that if I would ride the King Cobra roller coaster with her, then she would kiss me on the Smurf boats, which were a little like ride that went through like a little dark place. She went to my church. That's the reason guys and girls don't ride the bus together on the way to camp. You say, that's your fault? No, it's Mandy's fault, actually. Like, that's how that works. So I went to the amusement park. I stood in line for the roller coaster. I felt sick to my stomach the entire time, scared to death, anxious, rode the ride, got off the ride, and puked my guts out in the first trash can that I could find. I did not get a kiss. I did not get the girl. And I did not get on a roller coaster for a very long time. I don't like things that spin. But that's not the worst roller coaster story there is. Last month in Osaka, Japan, May 1st, a roller coaster in Japan got stuck 100 feet in the air, holding 64 people for more than two hours. You say, that would have to be the worst experience in the world. You're right. You would think so. But that was the fourth time this had happened. And people just kept lining up to get on the ride. People got on a ride that they knew would turn their life upside down and leave them stuck. And that is the ride of sin that we keep stepping onto. 
It's a ride that will leave our life turned upside down. It's a life that will leave us stuck. And when we get off the ride of sin, we think I'm never going to go back there until things are good. And then we step right back on to the ride of sin again. That is the spin cycle of sin that Israel was experiencing. Let's look at their spin cycle of unfaithfulness. It's amazing that they would just keep getting on this ride after it kept getting stuck, after it kept turning their life upside down. But they did. We see, number one, Israel would be directed by God. Israel would be directed by God. Judges 2, verse 7. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. God said, live this way. They would for a while. But then number two, Israel would drift from God. Israel was directed by God, but then Israel drifted from God. Verse 12, and we see it all over the book of Israel, or all over the book of Judges. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors who brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshiped various gods of the peoples around them. They forsook him and served the Baal and the Ashtoreth. They were directed by God. They drifted from God, and when they drifted from God, they experienced difficulty like maybe you are experiencing today because you've allowed yourself to drift from God. Verse 15 says this, Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them. Just as he had sworn to them, they were in great distress. Some of you say, I don't feel like God is with me right now. God is saying, I don't feel like you're with me right now. So until we're together, we can't be together. I don't feel like God's with me. God's saying, I know you're not with me. So until we're together, we can't be together. Israel would experience difficulty, so what would they do? The smartest thing you can do when you experience difficulties, number four, Israel demanded help from God. You say, even if I'm in the 30th spin cycle of sin, even if you're in the 30th spin cycle of sin, when you find yourself in need, demand help from God. Ask help from God. We see it in Judges 3.9, Judges 3.15, Judges 4.3, Judges 6.6, Judges 10.10, the exact same phrase. They cried out to the Lord for help. You directed us, we drifted. We're, We're experiencing difficulty. We're in trouble again. Help us. And then number five, God would. Israel was delivered by God. Judges 2.16, the Lord would raise up judges who would save them out of the hands of their raiders. God would deliver the nation of Israel. How? By sending them a judge who would be a military leader, who would be a spiritual leader, who would maybe be a commander in their army. But then the judge would die and everything would begin all over again. When we look at Israel's spin cycle, if it was a graphic, it would look like this graphic that they're going to throw up on the screen right there. Israel was directed by God. They'd drift from God. They'd experience difficulty. They'd demand help from God. They'd be delivered by God. Rinse and repeat. They would do it all over again. We look at that graphic and say, that is a really, really sad graphic. It's not just a sad graphic. It's a scary graphic. You say, why? Why is it a scary graphic? Because if we aren't careful, the cycle of Israel can be a picture of our spiritual life cycle. See, today it's not a picture of Israel. Today it's not a picture of the book of Judges. Today it's a picture of us. Today it's a picture of our lives and our spiritual journey. I could put my name in the spiritual spin cycle. You could put your name in the spiritual spin cycle. Maybe your life has looked like this at one point. Maybe it looks like this today. As a matter of fact, I bet all of you could find yourself in one of the points of the spin cycle. I've been directed by God or I've drifted from God or I'm experiencing difficulty so I need to come back to God or I'm delivered by God. That is the spin cycle of my life. It's the spin cycle of your life. It's the spin cycle of this book. And Paul says, learn the old stuff so you don't repeat it. Learn the old stuff so you can stand firm. Judges is an incredible picture of the unfaithfulness of the people who follow God, but it's a great picture of God's faithfulness throughout history because every time we ask for help, he gives it. 
As we study the book of Judges, what we're going to be amazed at, what we're going to be encouraged by is how faithful God is. See, our unfaithfulness to God does not decrease God's desire to be faithful to us. And only God is like that. I'm not like that towards my family, towards friends. You're not like that probably towards family, towards friends. We are not like that to each other, but God is. Our unfaithfulness to God does not decrease God's desire to be faithful to us. Paul said it this way to the young apprentice Timothy who he was raising up. He said, Timothy, if we are faithless, he will remain faithful for he can't disown himself. If we are faithless, when you are faithless, when you walk away, when you drift, when you just get flat out disobedient, when you come to your senses and say, God, I'm in trouble again, he doesn't deny you because God can't deny himself. And whether you're in Gilgal, learning how to walk with God, whether you're in Bethel, experiencing visions from God, or whether you're at Bochim, a place of weeping because of what's going on spiritually in your life. God desires to be faithful to you if you will learn to rest in his promises, if you will learn to walk in his holiness. God wants to come back to you and be faithful to you. God raised up judges because while Israel was caught in the spin cycle of sin, God lives in the spin cycle of faithfulness to his people if we will keep wrapping back around to him. That is the message of judges. Number two, We're going to see as we study judges that God raised up judges who were broken people that he then used to deliver a broken nation. God raised up judges who were broken people who he then raised up to deliver a broken nation. You say, why is that important? Because God's faithfulness to you doesn't depend on your perfection. Because God using you doesn't depend on your spiritual ability. All of the judges who we will study this summer were limited in their abilities They had clear, identifiable weaknesses. They had oddities in the ancient world. They had barriers to overcome. We'll study Othniel next week. He lived in the shadow of his uncle Caleb. He could never be as strong as his uncle Caleb, yet God would use him. We'll study Ehud, who used his left hand, a very particular thought that God would tell us that he was left-handed or he did not have the use of his right hand. We'll study Deborah, who fought against the social norms. In In an age where women didn't lead, most weren't even permitted to. She stepped up and led in Israel. We're going to study Gideon, who every day battled self-doubt and low self-esteem. We're going to study the life of Jephthah, who everyone knew was the son of a prostitute. And we're going to study the life of Samson, who struggled with pride and success. And if you want to write this down, and everything else. Like Samson was a mess. And as odd as it sounds, we're going to find out that God uses broken people to fix broken things. Listen, God uses broken people, us, to fix broken things. Friends, family members, the places we work, communities, the hearts of people. God uses broken people to fix broken things. You say, Christian, but God can't use me. I don't have any spiritual ability. God uses broken people to fix broken things. Say, Christian, God can't use me. I am so far from perfect spiritually. God uses broken people to fix broken things. The father of modern missions is a man by the name of Hudson Taylor. 
Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China. He really revolutionized the way that missions were done in the 19th century. It's said in church history that no one since the Apostle Paul has had as much influence on the world as Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor is the reason I'm preaching in jeans today. He was the man who was a missionary to China, said we're never going to reach the Chinese unless we look like the Chinese. All these British missionaries were walking around in suits and ties, and the Chinese thought they were crazy. And he said, unless we learn their language, eat their food, dress like them, and in the things that aren't sin, unless we are willing to become like them in these areas will never reach them and it changed the way people would go in and try to love and connect with indigenous people most people today in america don't wear suits and ties every day to work so we said let's dress on sunday like people normally dress during the week because we don't want anyone not to come to church because they don't feel like their clothes are nice enough i am the son of a grandpa who was saved at a church plant who the first time he went to church there he went because the pastor told him you don't have to come to church wearing a suit he had never been to church because he did not wear a suit and tie as a coal miner in the hills of northern kentucky Hudson Taylor has a lot to do with that whole mentality. And what did Hudson Taylor say when he was referred to as a spiritual giant by his peers? He said, all of God's giants have just been weak men and women who have gotten hold of God's faithfulness. All of God's spiritual giants have been weak men and weak women who have gotten hold of God's faithfulness. This will be one of the consistent themes throughout the book of Judges that should give you and I hope. Weak spiritual men and weak spiritual women are all qualified with God's help. We'll learn these three themes this summer in the book of Judges that God desires first our availability, not our ability. In spite of the weaknesses and barriers and oddities, the judges were just broken people who were used by God to deliver a broken nation of Israel. Why? Because they were available. We don't have to send God our resume of how many Bible verses we have memorized. We don't have to send God our resume of how much sin we've walked away from. The hope for you and I is this, to be used of God. The only thing we have to bring to God at the very forefront of our commitment is this. Yes, yes, I'm available. God, I'm available. Use me. We're going to learn that God often utilizes our greatest weakness for his advantage. The author of the book of Judges openly shares the weaknesses of some of the greatest heroes of our faith, which means the hope for you and I may be this as we look at our weaknesses, that the thing God wants to use for his advantage are our past failures, because he can use that to help somebody else. That the thing God wants to use in our life are our biggest fears because in looking to those, we learn how to have faith and God can use that in our life. That maybe the thing God wants to use the most are our greatest discouragements because how God has held us through those is the way he wants to work in the lives of others. Paul said it this way about God using our weaknesses in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He said, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness, therefore I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We're going to learn this summer that God often utilizes our greatest weaknesses for his advantage. And then we're going to learn that even in our weaknesses, if we will be available, God will inspire our actions to draw people back to him. Weak, broken, frail people. God said, if you'll be available and if you'll move in my direction at all, I'm going to use your life to help someone else move in my direction. Like the period of judges in Israel, our world still needs men and women who will follow God because the world needs to follow God. But they have to know what that looks like. 
They have to know what that looks like in brokenness. They have to know what that looks like in humility. They have to know what that looks like in availability. And the hope for us, for you and for me, is that we get to be a part of broken people helping fix broken things if we will be available to God and if we will simply follow God. God raised up judges because Israel was caught in the spin cycle of sin. They needed help. God raised up judges who were broken people that he used to deliver a broken nation. And finally, number three, we're going to see this summer that God raised up judges in Israel to demonstrate that we need a better judge. He raised up judges in Israel to demonstrate this thought, this theme that we need a better judge. The book of Judges is really an awful book. It's awful. Like if you've sat down and read Judges 1 to Judges 21, it's a very sad spiritual book. It's an awful book. You heard me call it the bad news sequel to the good news of Joshua. It very honestly, but also very intentionally tells the story of judges who were good, but not good enough. Told the story of judges who could rescue, but not rescue permanently. It told the story of people who could do their very best, but not give Israel what it needed, which was lasting spiritual peace, a lasting and an eternal connection with God. And as we read the book of Judges, the trajectory of Judges was from strength to weaknesses. The best judges are at the beginning of the book. The worst judges are at the end of the book. Every time God would raise up a judge, he would conquer less. He would reign for a shorter amount of time. The people would be enslaved longer between the times. Othniel was the first judge. After he conquered the people, Israel had peace for 40 years. Samson was the last judge. Israel would have peace for less than two decades after him. With each of the consecutive judges, Israel spent more time in slavery. With each of the consecutive judges, Israel would spend more time in bondage and less time in peace, less time in rest, until the book ends with the saddest verse in all of Scripture for a people who are known as the people of God. The last verse of the book of Judges is Judges 21, 25. The author throws up his hands and says, there's no hope. Here's the verse. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone just did as they saw fit. And another translation, it said, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Sounds a little bit like America today. Just everyone, just do what you want. No one's in charge. Nothing matters. Just do what you think is best and everything will work out. Everything was not working out. The reader of the book of Judges gets to Judges 21, 25 and says, Lord, put someone in charge who can help them. Lord, we can't live where everyone just does what is right in their own eyes. Someone has to be in charge. It compels the reader to ask, when will they get a good king who can lead? They would get a king named Saul. He would not be a good king. Then they would get a king named David who would be a good king, but not good enough. So the people of Israel were always asking, when will a rescuer come who can permanently give us spiritual peace, who can permanently and eternally connect us to God? When will someone better than these guys come? And eventually, Jesus steps on the scene. See, each consecutive judge will reinforce our need for Jesus. Each judge shows us that we need a better judge who can give us what our hearts long for eternally and completely. Because everything we grab onto for help besides Jesus will always need us, leave us grasping for more. So let me ask you, as you head into June in 2018, what have you been holding on to? What have you been holding on to for hope? What have you been holding on to for fulfillment that can really only be fulfilled permanently and eternally in Jesus? I look at the God substitutes of our world and a lot of people hold on to money. They hold on to power. They hold on to control. They chase success. They chase comfort. 
They chase pleasure. They hold on to family. Their health is the most important thing to them. Their career, when it's booming, leaves no time for God. Their reputation in the eyes of the world is something very, very important. They rely on their gifts and their abilities. And when those things go, like the people in the time of Judges, they have nothing. So Judges reveals to us that only Jesus perfectly meets our need to have a lasting and eternal peace and connection to God. We need Jesus. He's the better judge. He's the real rescuer. He's the only deliverer and hero of our story. You say, how's Jesus a better judge? Jesus directs us in how we should live. He prevents us from drifting if we'll walk with him. He stays with us right in the midst of our difficulty. He comes every time we call for help. And he was our savior before we ever even need to be delivered. So my question as we close is, where are you spiritually today? Are you at Gilgal? Needing to be directed again to take off your shoes, to live in the presence and the holiness of God, to get some things out of your life that keep you from living in the presence of God? Do you find yourself at Gilgal? Are you at Bethel? Like Jacob, running from something but needing to learn how to lay down and rest in the promises of God and just follow him and trust him? Or are you at Bokim? Are you at a place of spiritual weeping today because everything is broken and because everything you've turned to to rescue you has failed and you need to cling to Jesus? If you're at Bokim, you're not the first. The people of Israel were there. You won't be the last. And if you're at Bochum, there is hope. His name is Jesus. But you have to cling to him and follow him. Would you pray with me as we consider that challenge today? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. As we set out this summer to study the book of Judges, rescuers, heroes, we're reminded there's no greater rescuer. There's no more real hero. The only lasting spiritual peace and eternal connection to God comes through Jesus. And if you don't know him, maybe God brought you into this room today. Maybe God had you watch online today so that you could hear about him and you could cling to him. Maybe you're on the bottom left-hand corner of the spin cycle of sin in your life. You chose not to listen to God's direction. You've experienced difficulty. You're drifting and you need help. Call out to Jesus. We get stuck in the spin cycle of sin. God lives in the spin cycle of faithfulness. You just have to call out to Jesus. If you're here today and you've counted on everything in life but Jesus to give you hope, to give you peace, to connect you to God, and now you realize everything but Jesus will fail, just open up your heart to him today and say, Jesus, I need you. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over this auditorium, but hearts can be open and eternity can be opened. For those of you today who do not know Jesus personally yet but are willing by faith, to say yes to him. If that's you, if you don't know Jesus, which means you can't know peace, which means you can't know connection to God, which means you can't know the direction that you're supposed to go, if you don't know Jesus, but you need a rescuer, he's here for you today. All you've got to do is tell God. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You say, Christian, I, I don't know how to do that. I need that, but I don't know how to do that. You can just repeat a prayer after me. It's not a prayer that saves you, that changes you, that rescues you. It's the attitude of a heart. God said it's with the heart that you believe. But then with the mouth you confess that I need Jesus. 
So if that's you today, would you maybe pray something like this? Just in your heart. You don't have to pray it out loud. Just between you and God. Would you, would you say something like this? God, I need to be rescued. My way of doing life has left me drifting spiritually. It's made things difficult spiritually. And frankly, I need help spiritually. So today by faith, if you will rescue me, I simply say, help. Today by faith, I ask you to forgive me for trying to do things on my own. I ask you to forgive me for the sin in my life, the things you wouldn't want me to do if I was a follower of yours. And I ask that you would rescue me and direct me. I will follow Jesus if you will teach me how. So today I want to open my heart and my future to him. Rescue me today, Lord. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over this room. If you just prayed that prayer, Jesus, I need you to rescue me. You've never asked Jesus to do that before, but today you're willing to stop drifting and you're willing to anchor your faith in Jesus. And I'd love to just celebrate with you. I'd love to pray for you. So if you did that, I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want to do anything that would make you feel vulnerable. But in just a second, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm just going to ask ask you in just a second, I'm going to count to three. And when I say three, if you just prayed with me, I'm just going to ask you to just raise your hand. You can keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. I'm just going to kind of scan the auditorium. And if there's anyone in here who prayed with me today, I want to see where you're sitting. And then I just want to pray for you. That's it. Pretty simple. I'll have you put your hand down. I'll pray for you. And then we'll close out our service. And you'll have at least one person praying for your new walk with Jesus. So if that's you, if you just prayed with me, on the count of three, would you just let me know quickly and easily and simply? One, two, three, right now. Christian, I just prayed. Just raise your hands up all over the room. Raise them up so I can see them. Awesome. Keep them up for just a minute. I'm going to count because there are some of you in each section. I don't want to miss you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You can put your hands down. God, thank you for these seven people. Lord, if I knew their names, I'd pray for them all by name. But God, you know their name. You know their story. You knew that they would be here today. You knew that they would need to be rescued. And because you live in the spin cycle of faithfulness, Lord, you are on duty all day, every day of our entire life to rescue those who will call out and say, I need help. So God, I pray for these seven people as they begin their new spiritual journey with Jesus. Give them the peace that only comes through him. Give them the hope that only comes through him. Give them an eternal, secure connection that only comes from him. Teach them how to walk with you, how to see you, how to be directed by you. Teach them like Jacob to rest in your promises. Teach them like Joshua how to walk in your righteousness. And God, when they, when these seven find themselves at Bochum, place of spiritual weeping because they've really drifted far from you. Take them back and love them again, just like you did in Judges. Thank you for their new faith today. Heads are still bowed and eyes are still closed. I wonder how many Christians need a renewed faith today. The spin cycle of sin is not Israel's and it's not mine. It's yours. You looked at that chart and you saw your name. You know at some point in your life, God has directed you But you know, for some reason, maybe it's your fault, maybe it's somebody else's fault, but the reality is you've drifted and you're experiencing spiritual difficulty. You're experiencing spiritual weeping. 
Maybe Satan has said, you can't go back. You got if you get it wrong one more time, you can't go back. And God is saying through judges, every time you call, I'll be there. Maybe today you need to ask for Jesus to rescue you again. If that's you, would you do that where you're seated?